Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Breffney Early and you are listening to A Current Affair here on the station. It is our first edition of this show in 2020 and I'm delighted to be joined by two of our esteemed county councillors here, current chairman Enda McGloin, who kicked off the show for us all those months ago, which seems like a lifetime ago now, Enda. Mm-hmm. I can see the grey hairs beginning to sprout on my head. Yeah, you look younger too. than ever. Um, and Mary Bohan, a former county council chairperson herself, a here of county of the Leitrim County Council. She joins us today. Now, I, I put you at different ends of the table because the, according to the Observer this year, you're not getting on this week oh we are of a row? Get on, yeah. oh, no, no. No. it's no, never a row it's always a di- maybe a difference of opinion that's more exactly, yeah. diplomatic way of thinking about it excellent well I, have, I haven't called in any extra bouncers for today anyway no. so on the <laughs> promise that you're I don't think Mary has a bad knee so I don't <laughs> intend to make it worse for her <laughs> oh, very good well listen let's start with some positive news for the county and actually before we do that we better pay some respects because uh, in the morning yourself Mary uh, there are a number of former Cahirlik uh, of Leitrim County Council, Cahirlik. What's the port plural in Irish? Yeah, Cahirlik. of I'm not sure of Leitrim County Council, and one of those has sadly mm-hmm. departed and uh, passed away over the winter break. And um, maybe we want to pay some respects to the, to yeah. Jim Joe Short and to his family. Right, Mary. Yeah, well, I'd just like to be... Um, we did pass a vote of sympathy at the council meeting and uh, we had an, a short adjournment in, in memory of Jim Joe and to show our respects. And I suppose I served for 30 years on the council uh, with Jim Joe from 1979 uh, onwards. And uh, all I can say is what we said on the day, and everybody is of the same opinion, is that Jim Joe was a gentleman. He was a man of the utmost integrity and sincerity. He represented his, the constituents of his electoral area to 100%. Um, he worked tirelessly on behalf of, of his area. And um, he was very good company and very sincere. And it was, you know, I feel sorry that in the last few years that he was sick and did suffer considerably in the last year or so um, before he died. But it was a pleasure to work with him. And right throughout the country on various associations, the General Council of County Councils, as it was then, and other organisations, people speak so fondly of him, even to this day. And that was shown, I think, in the representation that was there at his funeral in Ahavas. So we're very sorry to lose him. Yeah, I join with Mary much the same, the sentiments. Uh, we've um, all extolled his virtues. He's a, he was really, I suppose, the the one word that keeps cropping up all the time was gentleman, and that's really what he was to his fingertips. I joined the council originally in two thousand and four, and Jim Joe was on his last term. But, you know, I remember on a number of occasions sitting down having a cup of tea or coffee with him and, you know, he, he always, what his main focus was on advising you and he was, in my view, apolitical. He he obviously was a proud member of Fianna Fáil and, but as a new Fine Gael councillor, he was equally as helpful to me as he would be to anybody else. And the funny thing is, when, as Mary said there, but... At places where I'd be, the most obscure place across the country, somebody could say to you, and how is Jim Joe Shaw doing? You know, so obviously he became a president of what is now the AILG, the Association of Irish Local Government. In other words, the representative group of all councils and councillors. So because of the, the standing he had with his colleagues, he was nominated that position, which was unique because Leitrim would be a small county in the context of bigger local authorities. So they had that much respect that he got that nomination and he carried that flag with proud uh, and I'm as I said it's a, it was such unfortunate that someone like him had such a difficult last few years in life he didn't deserve it 
Okay, well, it's no yes, Jake, whatever hand, Jewish. Moving on to some of the, the current affairs of the day, and I suppose one of the big announcements during the week was this new package, the stimulus package for the border region in Northwest, and there's 28 million euro has been put aside by the government to help the the Brexit affected counties essentially around the border. Leitrim is one of those. It includes a number of things uh, specifically for Leitrim in terms of a half a million euro fund for the local enterprise office. Mm. And there's other benefits as well in terms of being in this region and, and for getting Brexit ready. I suppose we might start with you, Enda, in terms of that. How, I suppose, what's the, the net result of this? What's going to come out of this investment in the region? Well, first of all, Enterprise Ireland are going to host a meeting on Wednesday next in the Bush Hotel, and I suppose that will answer a lot of those questions in terms of the specifics. Um, I know that, for example, we're beginning a project in Drumshambo that just before Christmas was announced that we had the purchase of that BFN factory. So, for example, if we've already been received funding and that's been granted, but you know, it gives us options in relation to maybe further uh, investing in that particular area, if possible. In other words, that it have to go through the normal process. But that's an example you know if we see midway through that there's potential for further employment there's potential for murder more innovation for murder, research we've, we've solved the potential for murder it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's no murder today but um, I'm getting tongue tied but what I'm really saying is that that, that is um, that is one helpful thing in terms of Wednesday um, and then of course there's a lot of issues where people will be involved in exporting and importing and that's going to be a major issue over the years so that the Leo will be there to support a lot of the SMEs and the indigenous companies here on that basis so I suppose the most affected part of the country, as we know, in relation to Brexit is the border counties. So specifically, I'm glad to see that the minister has allocated to, to, to that. And hopefully we'll see, I suppose, the full detail of what's in that has to be um, emerged. So effectively, we'll have to wait to see how they intend. But it's good to see that money there and potentially uh, assisting a lot of growth of companies, particularly in the border area. May I suppose your municipal district is a little bit closer to the border than myself and ended down this part of the county how much of an impact will this make for for manufacturing companies because i know a town like manor hamilton has a number of, of companies that do manufacture products in manor hamilton and export into into the north and into the uk well, first of all, what I'd like to say is I'd welcome the allocation of money. I think it's certainly much needed. We don't know yet exactly what Brexit is going to, you know, how the result of that is going to affect uh, people in the border regions. We Honestly, we do know that it will have some effect. but And we haven't seen exactly the detail of how this money is going to be spent. But it is very welcome that, that this money will be made available. And End has, you know, talked about one project in Drumshambo, for example, we have small enterprise units uh, in Drumcairn. Uh, we've had a lack of broadband. Hopefully that's going to be resolved now. Um, and that that was a factor that kept people out of them. But um, to maybe give small grants to start up somebody with start-up companies uh, would be very useful because w- the smaller towns in Leitrim are never going to attract in um, the major industry. So we're really depending on, uh, we're really depending on, you know, smaller smaller businesses um, to set up and places like Drumcairn and Manor Hamilton, hopefully if the funding is, avail- is made available to them, will help in some way. Now that's the first tranche of funding. I would say that it would probably be necessary to have continuous funding because the border areas are going to be affected for quite a bit for quite some time uh, with the outcome of Brexit, I've no doubt. 
Yeah, it's a kind of an unknown territory for everybody. But that event Absolutely. next Wednesday mm. in the Bush Hotel. Yes. Uh, do we have a morning? Or? Yeah, I think it's around ten o'clock, uh, as far as I'm aware. But I got uh, an email about it this morning, so um, I presume it's there for a lot of the SMEs and Enterprise Ireland are hosting it. Yeah, we'll but put it on our. If you, if, if you look at places like Manor Hampton, where there is some industry and where there are local people involved, um, I mean, if you look at the W8 this week, that you know they've got an award. People like Ronan Hazlitt in Manor Hamilton has been very much to the fore so um, I'm sure there are other people that would like to start up small businesses so um, if there's funding available certainly that would be um, encouraging for them and maybe to create more um, small units or enterprise units as well around in, in the other towns yeah, I, I think Mary mentioned something earlier there before we came on air about the difficulty sometimes getting bedrooms in the likes of uh, the East Coast. But we have to dis- we have to advantage businesses on the border region more. In other words, there'll be a bigger incentive to locate mm-hmm. in County Leitrim or even in the border counties. And we have to have packages to, stim- to, to get people in and to support the people that are there because they're the most vulnerable because we're on a particular side of the country that unfortunately doesn't seem to get the growth that the East Coast gets. So it's important, if the word is prejudice, in some respects in terms of funding now that's coming, especially on Brexit, uh, to ensure that we play catch-up with a lot of our counties on the East Coast. There's some good news in the county and some bad news in the county in terms of services and resources that are Mm -hmm. delayed in one case and reopened in another. Mary, I might start with you. In Manor Hamilton, the childcare facility is due to reopen next week, which can only be seen after two or three months being closed as a very positive for the, the inhabitants of the north. Absolutely. The and has somebody, you know, in the Manor Hamilton Municipal District, uh, along with my colleagues, we've been making strenuous representations to try and have this facility opened. Um, it was an absolute disaster and a shock for everybody, but particularly for the parents uh, that were using it. I mean, up to 100 uh, children in, in the service and then, you know, that they didn't have a service and there weren't enough facilities in the area to cater for that, that amount of people. So um, it, there was a lot of uncertainty and people trying to take holidays from work to, to, to cater for children and trying to make arrangements with grandparents and other childminders. And um, it's absolutely fantastic that the childcare service is up and running again in Manor Hampton. It's an absolute necessity where, I mean, if you have people that have mortgages, then obviously two people have to work to pay their mortgage. And it's a crucial service that people can't go out to work if you have young children, if you don't have a service um, there. So I very much welcome the opening of the service and pay tribute to all of those and to the committee involved and everybody that, that's involved in it. And I'd like to wish them well um, for the future. But it is a service that's absolutely needed. Yeah, so it was 99 children and the 22 staff, but that's 22 employees and the families of 99 children. It could be 70 or 80 families we're Mm -hmm. talking about. Actually, lives thrown asunder with no warning back in September. It's great to see that kind of return to some level of normality and hopefully get back to the same level. Yeah, and I'd like to pay tribute to all of the people that work so hard to get the service up and, and running again and to wish them all well. Excellent. And I'm going to ask you uh, in, in this area, and it's not, I know it's not your municipal district, but the the health centre, the new um, main health centre in Carrick and Shannon that's currently under construction, was due to open in the first quarter, first half of this year, now not looking likely to open until the, the third quarter of the year. It's it's not a huge inconvenience in terms of these services are still being offered in other locations around the town, but... Are we likely to see that happen in in the third quarter this year? Will that happen? 
in relation to the opening of the well I'd hope so I mean I was just happened to be there last Sunday it was in that part of the town and uh, looks to have come on uh, substantially in terms of um, completeness from the outside at least looking in but I'm sure given the size of the building uh, in relation to what has to go in um, there's a lot more to be done there yet but I suppose it's something that's physically there um, and often cases we hear announcements about things and it's it, it's to get to, to somebody, a builder coming on site can be the biggest delay. But at least the builders are on site. Work seems to be ongoing. Okay, so it is a delay and it would be much better to see it there uh, faster and I'm sure the people that will be anxious to use it. But look, at, it's it's going to happen. It'll be, it's a delay, but let's get it right um, as opposed to opening something that you know isn't fully equipped or isn't fully functional. And um, I'm glad to see at least it's, it's not a standstill. It's merely a delay. You know, it looks it has shot up over the last couple of months, and just to see it kind of edge closer to completion is is very positive. I think it's going to be a huge asset to the to the town and the region when it's actually comes together because it's going to pull all of those resources that are scattered all over the area into the one centre, whether it's mental health or the doctor surgeries and and everything health related will be in the one spot. Now, Doc, doc are going to move in there as well, mm-hmm. so hopefully it'll be a really really positive addition to the the town later in the year. And I'm going to stay with you for a moment and we're going to talk about the community grants that were announced. Uh, now, some of them had been announced earlier, but there's a, a hundred organisations in the town, or sorry, in the county, that have received grant aid as part of Minister Ring's latest announcement. Um, positive news, I'm guessing, for those small organisations. Ah, uh, yeah, like there's a lot of uh, community organisations who have put through their grant applications through initially Leitrim County Council uh, they administer that on behalf of the department and it helps small community groups for example it could be a community group that's involved in grass cutting in their own they might apply for funding for a new lawnmower or something like that um, I know one or two in my own area Leitrim Calling is an organisation that I happen to be involved in and they've got a grant funding for say equipment uh, that would be software computers so that they have a particular programme how they call to older people and it's a very very it's a good service and they're getting funded and there's a number of other community groups across so it's a scattergun effect but I think it ranges I think most the figure I saw was about 3,000 down to something in the region of 500 euros so it does have a uh, it's a a vital um, I suppose funding for people and at least then in year to year it comes out over the last five or six since Michael Ring took over that particular department he's initiated that funding so hopefully after the next government that will continue and that the Department of Community and Rural Affairs will continue whatever parties in government because I think most people will acknowledge um, across the political divide that Michael Ring and that department has delivered to smaller communities and has delivered to uh, compared to say other big guns we've often had rows in the council about you know for example LIS roads which is a very important thing uh, Mary for one and others have lobbied Minister Ross and been ignored effectively and he has only the one has come up to the plate and has brought forward mm-hmm. that money so that alongside these community grants alongside town and village enhancements has made a dramatic has made the best impact I think in the communities so I said whatever government is on if that that portfolio continues and to li- continues to deliver funding to particularly to the rural communities one of the organizations who were at the top of that scale you mentioned 3,000 one actually received 4,000 that was in your neck of the woods Mary mm-hmm. um, and it's a, a 
it's a resource that I actually was in a couple of months ago mm. as part of the festival. Yeah. They had a little coffee shop set That's up true. in what's going to be the new youth cafe mm-hmm. in Drumcurin mm-hmm. in the old courthouse. Mm-hmm. And it was lovely finished. Apart from the floor was rough, but now they're after getting it's some done. funding floor, to finish that. Done. Excellent. So tell us about the, the actual well, impact that's going to have on the ground for the youth around Drumcairn. Yeah. Well, the youth cafe in Drumcairn was the old um, courthouse. And, um, you know, it was dilapidated and in very poor condition. And at the time, people were going in and out the windows and windows broken and everything in it. And at the time, I asked the council to try and take it over from the OPW. And we got at least through the North Connacht Youth to the youth club. Now, they had huge work to do. They had to employ a conservation um, architect because it's a listed building. Um, they've done <coughs> fantastic work with various grants that they've got over the years. And that 4,000 was very welcome um, for them. They're doing brilliant work and they have huge membership for a small area. You know, they've one of the biggest youth club memberships in, in the county and all of the other groups. And I suppose I'd just like to say that, you know, the voluntary committees and groups that they're keeping this county going um, in every town and village uh, in the county whether it's youth clubs tidy towns or whatever association it is care of the elderly they're doing fantastic work and I think you know they appreciate when they do get um, funding and it is important to have a minister in the west of Ireland dealing with rural development because um, Enda McLone, Enda mentioned there um, Lord Ross. I mean, he has absolutely no interest in, in the West of Ireland whatsoever and dismisses you out of hand if you raise anything with him. We have personal experience of that. So I think, I mean, going back to another minister that I can think of was Eamon O'Keefe when he was in rural development, we got extra money for group water schemes and we got extra money for roads, for rural roads. So it is important, whatever government is there the next time that we have a minister that understands and that cares. But any money that comes, and I think it's only right that this money should come and that it should be on a continuous basis and not just on a once-off thing because these groups are keeping our towns and villages alive. For example, you know, if you look at the towns, like we'll say Drumcairn with Tidy Towns or Drumair, um, their marks are going up every year with the effort that they're putting in. It might only be four or five people, but they're giving up their time freely and when the minister announced these grants and some of them were notified a few months ago about it, um, it makes all the difference to them. It's Apart from the money being beneficial to them, it's a recognition of the work that they're doing and they, that they are being valued for the work that they were doing. Because if, if those groups were to stop in the morning, and very often in small towns you get the same people maybe in two or three groups, so they're given so much of their time. Uh, if they were to opt out in the morning, I mean, what kind of a county would we have? But Andy, you mentioned like the impact that uh, that equipment or that software might have or that um, lawnmower might have mm-hmm. to a group who, who use it every week mm-hmm. to do things around the village, or whatever village it might be around Absolutely. the county. Um, it's it's so important to continue to support this. Is there a way that that can be done on an ongoing basis or is it going to be this ad hoc, ask for what you want when you want it, when we decide you, we have money to give you? Well, I think these grants, as they are, are multi-annual. So, I mean, there's different segments, uh, town and villages and all and community grants. But for the last number of years, my understanding is that, that they do, those funding has been delivered on an annual basis through this particular scheme. So that's the point I was making, that, you know, the next this time next year again, we'd hope to have a similar announcement to whatever minister takes that department over. And as I think Maria is, is right, and I'd like to agree with her in terms of the volunteerism, and 
like they need encouragement they need the lift of that little bit of financial um, assistance and that is so important in my view and you know the volunteerism in this country I remember actually a number of years ago I think Bertie Hearn was the Taoiseach at the time and he, he, he made a particular speech about it and you know he focused in on that as a most one of the most important things because in a world where sometimes things are going well people have they're running mm-hmm. their lives and they forget mm-hmm. about the fact that they have a, you know, there, sh- there, is a, there should be a passion within communities. And there's sometimes in rural communities, there's rural parishes mm-hmm. across Leitrim and there's great volunteers. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they fight mm-hmm. every... Sometimes in the bigger mm-hmm. urban areas, like, say, Carrigan Shannon, for example, volunteerism is, is a little bit mm-hmm. more difficult mm-hmm. to get. But where it is an action, it has to be encouraged and by, it's encouraged mm-hmm. by financial supports coming from government and local government. Well, just to give two examples of what groups are, are expected to do. I mean, footpaths, you know, always in my time on the council up to a few years ago, the council got money from the Department of Transport. Minister Ross has refused to do that, so he's not giving money for footpaths. So in the case of the, a, drum, a group in Drumhair and a group in Drumhair, and the Drumhair one is finished through Minister Ring's department to the town and village. Um, the, both groups had to apply for funding, one to do a footpath out to the football field in Drumhair on that very busy road, which was essential, which was a matter of health and safety, which the council should have been doing themselves. And the other case was in Drumhair on a regional road on the R280, um, out, past, out to the housing estate, where Drumhair and Tidy Towns have been successful in getting funding to provide a footpath. Now, the council obviously will be taking on the work, but the community group had to apply and do all the paperwork to get the, the funding. So that's where... That's the stage where some of these groups are at. They're applying for leader funding, they're applying for towns and villages, they're applying for community grants, and it's a lot of work. But it is good to see that they are getting the money. But, it, uh, I mean, the responsibility for footpath and all that public lighting and things always rested with the council until Minister Ross took but over. But does that mean that the, the places where there's the most need for it and the most clamour for it is going to get what it needs first and foremost? Well, I don't think so because it goes through a vetting process and, you know, on the basis of need and and health and safety and and all of that. So I think that where community groups can show the need, where they have... Well, obviously, they have to have a good application. Yeah, well, what I mean is, like, if if the council might decide we want to spend that money, but if there's not actually a local want or a need for Mm -hmm. that footpath, Mm -hmm. for example... The, if there's not enough of a need or want within the community to actually sit down and fill out the paperwork then mm-hmm. it's maybe not really needed so mm-hmm. is it not a way of kind of sifting through the, the people who actually actually need it rather than want it well no, well, in the, the two cases I mentioned it was an absolute case of need and of health and safety but it wasn't the council's fault or the council staff's fault they weren't getting the funding to do it and so they would advise us to go through a community group. But I'm just saying the level of, the, of work that community groups are doing now, it's more, way, way, way beyond anything that, you know, 20 years ago that groups would have been doing. Um, I mean, leader of applications and towns and villages applications. Are on, I mean, they're very sophisticated application forms and, and it takes a lot of time. And in some applications that groups are making, they're actually paying somebody. They're trying to pay somebody, particularly for leader. Um, because the the money is so big and the, and the I suppose it's, and the applications the, the, the are so difficult and, and I mean even yeah. to get the wording right in some of it you know absolutely let's talk about one or two of the contentious things because obviously we, we made light of it at the very start of the show but you are both listed on the front page of the paper as having an opinion on uh, a rather controversial event mm-hmm. which ha- which was announced a week or so ago it's mm-hmm. since been cancelled and that's the the RIC commemoration mm-hmm. and the, the Dublin Metropolitan Police um, 
commemoration. Mm-hmm. It has since been cancelled. It's on the front page of the paper. Anyone who's listening who doesn't know about it, go buy the paper, read it there. We're not going to drag it all up here now because no. I really, I'm worried you might start the, the boxing gloves will no, come out. No need to worry. <clears throat> but in terms of, in terms of events like that, we're entering into a period over the next two or three years where those events that happened in the Civil War era in Ireland are going to be reaching their commemorations, and whether it's the ambush at Selton Hill or whether it's all the similar types of events locally or on a national scale, are we in trouble of really having these flashpoints every couple of weeks and months over the next year, two or three years of these kind of commemorations coming around? Mary, we might start with you. Okay. Well, just to say, I don't want to rehash over to I respect Enda's view. I mean, there was no, it wasn't a row, it was a, a difference of opinion on the day. My own opinion was that, and I don't get any great joy in saying this, I think the government got it wrong. And I think the way their nation responded proves that. And they took the right decision and they, well, whether it's deferred or cancelled, I, I don't know. I would say it's probably cancelled. But to come back to your question, I think what happened there was there, was, there wasn't enough um, consultation and discussion around it. And that's what even people who were on the committee, uh, I'm not privy to what the... the all the work that went on in the committee. But committee members, um, one of them, Dermot Ferreter, came out and he gave his opinion on it. Um, I think there was a lack of discussion and consultation around it and that, you know, the sensitivities of it really weren't um, dealt with. And to come back to your question, I think, you know, that um, around all these um, commemorations, we need to have consultation and serious discussion about it. So we do think that for going forward that the government need to give their full attention and, you know, inform the committee and, and make sure that people know uh, what they're going to do. And, you know, we don't want to be disrespectful to anybody. I don't want to be disrespectful to any member of the RIC or their family. Um, you know, they did what they did at the time and... Um, Everyone probably will be commemorating somewhere or other before this year is out. So, but I think there needs to be a lot of consultation about it, and and it was handled badly, and it's unfortunate that it was handled badly. And did the government do the right thing in in postponing or cancelling the the event? Yeah, well, I think as as obvious that there was a huge level of difficulty with it, and. Um, I suppose, looking from my point of view, I had no intention of going someplace that was honouring black and tans. I can tell you that much for nothing. Um, although, like, the bottom line was that the RIC were associated with the black and tans because they were brought in as a force to back them up. And um, I suppose, the look, at in essence, it was about uh, the RIC. And, I mean, I would like to think that RIC officers that played a role in assisting the War of Independence, particularly around... I mean, Michael Collins wouldn't have got anywhere without a lot of espionage, without getting information. Some of it came from RIC um, area across the country. Um, the Dublin Metropolitan Police, I'm sure, there was leaks left, right and centre. But that was part of the War of Independence. And t- a thousand officers, you know, resigned out of protest. So for some way or other, I, I agree with Mary in the sense that, you know, maybe the, the whole debate... There was a recommendation, not a recommendation, but there was a, a view out there from the, the expert group that was put together that something should be done. And I think, yeah, I agree that should have gone back, should have been a little bit more work done on it before actually something then happened because it all got mixed in. And as I said to you, my view was I was never going to have anything to commemorate Black and Tens. That's, that's all I wanted to say on that. But in terms of moving forward... Um, 
Yeah, the civil war, for example, is going to be difficult because people have different views right up to the last few years of who was right, who was wrong and that. But I think we'll have to, to uh, go back to this as an example of what went wrong and go back to the expert group and let them make recommendations. There's a number of very esteemed historians, Morris Manning, Dr. Martin Manser, uh, Dermot Ferreter, all of these people who are very respected within the folds of, of their expertise on Irish history that you know, maybe they come back with a recommendation that should be worked through. See, for example, everyone, the War of Independence won't be a problem. I mean, if we commend, uh, there's a view of Central Hill, for example, um, the Sheemore ambush, you know, that won't be an issue for anyone in Leitrim because those men played a role in in the War of Independence and I can't see a problem there. But when it comes to the next round, which is the Civil War, then it's going to be, I would suggest, difficulty. So in order that we don't have the same scenario as we had with this particular event, then I think government, whoever will be the next government now, I guess, um, who will have to come up with uh, maybe a way around the debacle that we've just seen. Okay, we might leave that there because I think we could talk about that for a while. And I want we are running out of time, and I want to talk about two other things before we wrap up. Uh, and the first one is the house slump, uh, as reported in this weekly from Observer, um, that house price or house sales were down last year in the county by to four hundred eighteen sales. It, how much can we read into that? Because, like, it's a small county, we can fluctuate from year to year. It still seems to be relatively good. I know a member of my mm-hmm. family, I sold a house last year and was quite happy with, mm-hmm. with how it went. Mary, you, your your family have an experience with buying a house at the moment? Yeah, well, I have um, somebody interested in, uh, my son is interested in, in buying a house at the moment and the price, you know, it varies from place to place. It depends on where you want to live. It's more difficult if you want to live I think out the country because of the planning issues around there are not that many uh, rural houses um, you know for sale and there is a difficulty with the planning there so there's not the same number Um, and it depends on what area what town or village you go to you know in the smaller villages and towns the houses are cheaper because there's not the same services there maybe than the price of houses in Carrick and Shannon for example but I don't know how accurate those uh, daft.ie figures um, that that are out at the moment are you know how scientific are they because um, a lot depends in a place like Leitrim just who wants to buy and where. Uh, in some areas where um, old rural houses are for sale, um, they're being bought up. Now, the price isn't very high, but they are being sold. I'm aware of two that were sold uh, in the last couple of months, not very far away from me, where people have come in from outside. Were you outside. buying property, Mary, no? No, I'm afraid I have no money for that. <laughs> and, and or no, no interest in the property market. Um, but... Some of those houses are going, people are, uh, there are quite a number of people from England are, are coming in and buying houses. And it's going to be interesting now, an auctioneer said to me last week that it'd be interesting to see maybe how many people will come north, in, come in from the north of Ireland on account of Brexit and um, buy property here. Because the difficulties that they're going to experience, even travelling now, you know, going to EU, they're going to be the same as us going to America, them trying to go to an EU country. So um, I, I'm not sure this, it's... The property changes from place to place in Leitrim, but certainly there's not a huge, a huge demand at the minute. But I can see that changing. Yeah, and obviously the the quality of life here is good Absolutely. and it is attractive to anyone who's maybe at that retirement well, age. Well, just yeah, just to give an example, I spoke to somebody last year that moved from Dublin to the Glenade Kinloch area, and um, she said, you know, they're so sorry they didn't do it sooner because um, now she has work in Sligo, but. 
they were up at six o'clock in the morning getting children to a crash, um, maybe an hour and a half in a traffic jam trying to get into work. Whereas, as she said herself, you know, she sits into her car now in the morning at a quarter to nine and she's in Sligo before half nine for work and she's driving. You're driving, you're not sitting in traffic. So home earlier in the evening, more time with children. So the quality of life is beginning to be a big a big issue and, and that's, a lot of people are moving. So I could see it changing in, in Leitrim in the next couple of years. And of course, the one positive that I did take from that article was that the average price of a house in Leitrim is 100 grand cheaper than the national average, which is good from a point of view of people who might, might want to relocate to this mm-hmm. part of the woods. Before we wrap up, and we are out of time, but before we wrap up, let's have a little bit of a look towards the general election because, and you've hinted at it a couple of times in the conversation about the next government, the next government. You've mentioned it at least two or three times. <laughs> um, any idea, I know you've got friends in high places, any idea of when the, the general election will, will happen? Well, I just believe the next election will be, well, certainly, I would say by Monday or Tuesday. That's my view. So the election's going to be next Monday or Tuesday? Well, it'll, be it'll, it'll be announced. I'd say the 7th of February is, if you're interested in going to Paddy Power, you'd say he, that's your best bet in terms of winning a bet on that. I think, anyways, I think that the government, in terms of numbers, have following the by-elections really doesn't have the numbers to survive. Um, I know the only way they can survive is that, uh, you know, basically... The, the party that's in conference supply in the fall supplies some votes and that's not part of the deal and I accept that so therefore you have to move it on and it's just not viable and therefore when you run out of road in terms of numbers and the all you have to have an election and I just well I mean unless something comes from the meeting this evening between the Taoiseach and Micheál Martin um, but given I've listened to uh, their deputy leader Derek Leary this afternoon on the radio Radio 1 and judging from listening to him I don't believe there'll be any major breakthrough in that meeting so I'd expect that after the weekend we will the election will be called and it'll be probably a three week campaign and the 7th of February will be the date of the election that is my view but there's only one man really knows that and that's Leo Varadkar We are looking at potentially a very short run into a general election Mary well, my own opinion is that we're going to have an election anyway. We're going to have an election by April or May. I think people are getting sick now listening to it. And, you know, people's minds are concentrated on an election rather than all of the legislation and everything else that, that has to be has to be done. So I think have it, get it over with uh, as soon as possible. That's my own view. And that's what I'm hearing back from a lot of people. Even, you know, there was some kind of a... Vox Pop and Sligo today and um, Eileen Magner did it and was just listening to that coming down and that's what people are saying. I mean, I think that what Enda said about the, you know, the supply and demand, I think, you know, I think Fianna Fáil did take responsible attitude when others ran away and they went into a confidence and supply. Uh, not everybody that voted Fianna Fáil was very happy with that, but uh, looking back on it now, I think they did the right thing with... Brexit and everything else that, and the uncertainty around all that, I think they did the right thing. But what they've said now is that, you know, they haven't agreed to, I think what the Tisha was asking them to do would be to, if there's a vote of no confidence, which there's going to be tabled in, in Simon Harris uh, by Michael Collins and some of the independents, that, you know, that Fianna Fáil would vote for that. Now, obviously, they can't do that. You know, that wasn't part of the agreement. And if Fianna Fáil were to win now and vote, an end, they will understand this um, and vote for the government 
outside of the confidence and supply, then their own supporters would be deserting them. So it looks as if the government now, since the last since the by-elections, they don't have the numbers. But it, I think it's immaterial, really, because we're going to have the election, as I said, anyway, in the next few months. So what difference does it make? Have it now and get it The only the sympathy way. I have is for those of us that have to go out and canvas in, in poor weather, cold weather, maybe frosty roads. Ah, we're well used to it. Yeah. My heart bleeds. <laughs> I'm um, sure the listeners are short window. But, but we did really, it before. But what means, really, I suppose, a lot of it will be fought on the television in terms of uh, people will make up their mind a lot by looking at TV debates between I presume the leaders of the parties and all of that so that's it'll be that type of election but then on reflection the last two general elections in my memory were in the months of February if I can mm. remember so uh, definitely in February 16 and there was one in the 2011 was early after January mm. so okay that's been the pattern it's just I know from fighting a local election it's much easier to do it at least you meet much more people in the middle of May when we are out canvassing so. and the media love an election breathless so you'll well, be that's why it's a good thing it's three weeks rather than I mean it's, it's not going to drag on and on all year in terms of the local conversation I suppose Fianna Gael from the outside looking in at least looked to be in a little bit of disarray I know Maura Hopkins has um, stood down from her nomination this week in a, in a neighbouring constituency and uh, the two people selected a convention in our constituency no longer on the ticket how how do you see this panning out for us was in the first instance for Fine Gael, but also in the wider picture, who do you see getting the, the nominations? Well, the seats? I suppose the difficulty for Fine Gael, uh, as opposed to Fianna Fáil, in that Fianna Fáil had two sitting deputies, uh, Mark McSherry and Eamon Scanlon, who um, are contesting again. So they were sitting in the doll, they were sitting politicians, and they were deciding to go again. In Fine Gael's case, Tony McLaughlin indicated that he was retiring, and... Jen, we had a convention at that stage. The reason for a convention was we didn't know when the election would be. Brexit came on. Fianna Fáil extended confidence and supply in, on the basis of Brexit, the insecurity of that. So then those individuals who were selected, many of whom were selected over two years on a ticket, that's very difficult if you're in a jo- full-time job, you're not a full-time politician. So that's when it becomes difficult. And unfortunately then, if we knew the election was going to be in, in January, February, whatever it is, 2020, 2020, then you could have had your convention last October. But that we didn't know. So that's part of the problem for Fine Gael as opposed to Fianna Fáil had their two TDs. But Fine Gael set the, the dates. So they did. No, no, but I'm saying is that we didn't know when the election was going to be. So the best thing was to prepare, get your candidates in place. Then suddenly, two years later, you still don't have an election. And that's a problem. And circumstances and obviously change as well. Yeah, for but it's going to be, look at, I mean, the end of the day, we don't know the full field of candidates. There's indications that Marion Harkin may contest this. She's a former TD and a former MEP. She may contest... Uh, or one of our own former deputies, Minister John Perry, has declared himself as an independent. Fine Gael has selected two candidates, Senator uh, Frank Fian, who's a former TD for Roscommon South Leitrim on two occasions, uh, now currently a senator, and Thomas Walsh, who's a new councillor, 34-year-old, uh, newly elected councillor from Ballygawley. So, look, at, we're, we're good, putting our best foot forward. We'd, we'd like to see us win. We're 400 votes short of winning two seats the last time. And um, obviously... Deputy Martin Kenny is seeking re-election along with his colleague Chris McManus in Sligo. So that's that's basically the main. There's, there's more candidates, I suppose. We, we're not in election mode yet, so we don't have to name them all out. But 
We're getting close it, to it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so from that pr- perspective, you know, um, you know where the polls are presently and we'll have to see what happens. Mary, you're sitting there rather quiet at the moment. You're kind of rubbing your hands there a little bit, thinking of the, the prospect of uh, Fianna Fáil retaining two seats in the election. Is that the expectation within Fianna Fáil? Absolutely. And I think the people in this election, you know, will... The last time we didn't know whether we were going to have a government or not. And um, I think the feeling from talking to people is this time, they would like... To, I mean, I think we really would need... It's not that maybe any party is going to get an overall majority, but... We do need stability. Like, I mean, even if you take it at council level uh, here in Leitrim, uh, you know, we worked out an agreement. We have a stable, we have a council that's going to work. We have a council that's going to pass the estimates. And that's very important from the point of view of doing the right thing for Leitrim. So I think for the country, it's very important that we have stable government. And I think people are going to look carefully this time about it. And if we're going to vote for you know, candidates of all uh, persuasions and we're going to end up in the same with a mixed bag again that we can't form a government, then you can't carry through the legislation that you want to. You're looking over your shoulder all the time. So I think it's very important this time that people think carefully when they're casting their vote. Um, Are we going to vote so that we're going to have a government? So we're going to have, particularly in this region, that we're going to be able to have a minister or ministers in the west of Ireland and they're not going to have a Lord Ross or a Lord somebody else in Dublin that doesn't give two hoots about. So that's what I think people are going to think about. And obviously, I would like to see uh, Fianna Fáil getting the maximum number of seats. And I, as and I said, we have two um, sitting TDs in Sligo. We got two seats the last time. We did very well. And um, we're hoping this time we'll, that we'll hold on to two and we'll be, we'll be looking for a third. But, you know, being realistic about it... Um, we would certainly want to hold on to the two that we have. So predictions would be two Fianna Fáil, one Fianna Gael, one Sinn Féin. Is that what we're saying, Mary? Um, well, if you look at at the moment, I suppose there's a candidate running for Sinn Féin in Sligo. There's a candidate running for Sinn Féin in Leitrim. Now, the Sinn Féin vote was very much down in the local elections across the country. Um, we don't know how that's going to be the next time. But I suppose if you're looking at it, it would run in two candidates if it was a favourable if there was a favourable wind in their back then they would be likely to take one seat um, it's it's hard to predict I mean based on the local election results it wasn't good uh, it wasn't good for them but then I mean that could change um, to have a sitting TD which is is a benefit for any party going into an election you know that that, that they'll hold on to that vote or that one or other whoever is highest in the first count would get generally um the Sinn Féin vote transfers very well from one candidate to the other. So that's a bonus, whereas some of the other parties kind of, the vote can scatter on a local, in a local area. You know where you say, like if you have two candidates in Sligo Town or two candidates in Ballymote, for example. In Ballymote now you have Deputy Scanlon and um, John, Perry. John Perry, a former TD running. So, you know, people in Ballymote that are not fully committed can say well we vote for one or the other we'll and vote the, for the local guy rather um, than the specific party so it's, it's hard to predict but, but I would see two block, Fianna Fáil anyway neck on the block if you had to call the four seats where would you go I would say well I mean the question of whether Marion Harkin enters the race or not that's, that's I'm not sure but um, I would say two Fianna Fáil one Fianna Gael and neither one Sinn Féin or one Independent based on whether Marion enters the race That's my prediction. And uh, would you go along with that? Would you have your own opinion? 
Well based, I suppose, you know, you have to look at the figures. It suited us better to have West Cavan in. The last time we were very close, mm. we, we were 400 short. So I think the constituency balance probably doesn't help us as much this time. And again, as Mary said, it all depends really on on what Marion Harkin does. Um, you know, we have to reflect on the local and European elections, which was a bad result for Sinn Féin. And, um, but then again, in the Midwest constituency in Dublin, they won that seat against the odds. And uh, I think a lot depends on what happens in Stormont next week. Um, I think a lot of people are frustrated with Sinn Féin, didn't play a real role when they could have in relation to Brexit in, in the British Parliament. And um, they sat on their hands and they continue to, a lot of the time, sit on the fence and shout at the odds across at the other party. Okay. So I'm not going to let you have a pop at Sinn Féin because no. I'm not here to defend themselves. I, I understand to be that, fair. but I mean, I'm, I'm reflecting on their vote performance, and I'm just saying that they could uh, recover. And if they do, they'll hold on to their seat. But as I said, it's going to be a scenario at the end of the day where um, I think it's probably definitely be too fine to fall. And whatever happens, we'd certainly we're confident of winning a seat and we would certainly be challenging for a, a third, a fourth. Depends on the numbers throughout the election, how the campaign goes. There's a strong economy at the moment and if you don't have a strong economy then you can't do anything for anybody and like we'd like to be able to spread that a bit more if, if we're there longer in government that's to be seen. Okay well listen we are going to end it there when the election gets called we will have more of a round table where everybody's around and everyone gets the opportunity and we'll have more to say well, yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully although you've had plenty to say today we're way over time uh, thank you to all the listeners who have stuck around for the extra time because we called time on this 10 minutes ago we're still talking but uh, thank you very much Mary for coming in to us I know you've a busy day you've crossed the country to be with us here today and end it thank you for coming from Rochambeau no no less a feat at the same time (laughs) Um, but uh, thank you so much for coming in dropping in and having a chat with us pleasure to have had you on the show thank you Bethany Uh, that was of course a current affair uh, here on Leitrim Daily I will be back tomorrow with Kiss My Arts where I'll be looking at uh, some of the publications that are coming out from Coach Karen Brown talk to you then